I'm Pastor Richard Gamble, and the following message is made available by First Baptist Church of Bastrop, Louisiana. To find out more about First Baptist Bastrop, go to www.firstbastrop.org. That's www.firstbastrop.org. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, open with me to Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter 7. Second Chronicles chapter 7, we'll be looking at verses 11 through 16 this morning. Second Chronicles 7, 11 through 16. If you don't have a Bible of your own, you can grab one of the Pew Bibles there. And it's page 338 in the Pew Bible. Page 338 in the Pew Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, then uh, we invite you to take that Pew Bible with you. That's our gift to you. We want everybody to have a copy of God's Word, so please take that and use it. It will certainly bless your life. Well, we are now two weeks out from our revival with Luke Hockenjoss. And uh, as we move toward that series of services, I want us to make preparation even now. We need to prepare for the revival that's coming. And I want us to begin to seek revival. Seek revival. So we're going to be looking at that the next couple of weeks as we pursue revival. Now, as we get ready for this, we want to acknowledge a few things. First of all, we want to acknowledge that revival is, is not something that we can plan, right? We, we call, we're, we're having a revival meeting, and I always have a problem with that because you don't plan a revival. A revival is a sovereign act of God. God is the one who comes and revives us. He has to give us new life. And so uh, I, I, I almost hate calling it a revival because we don't plan a revival. But, you know, over history, that's what we've called it. So we're going to continue to call it revival. But as we move towards that, you know, we acknowledge that revival is a sovereign act of God. Yet, what we find in Scripture is that Scripture tells us that while revival is God's sovereign activity, we can seek revival. In fact, Scripture encourages us to seek revival. And here in Second Chronicles chapter 7, we even see that God kind of lays out some specific activities that we can do as we pursue revival. And so I want us to look at that today as we begin to prepare ourselves for revival. And here in our text today, specifically uh, verse 14 of our text, we see three key elements of revival. Three key elements of revival. Now from my Wednesday night cruise, yes, you, you've heard this already. Uh, I've kind of gone over this with y'all on Wednesday night, but I told y'all, warned y'all that it, it was probably going to come back again because everybody in the church needs to hear this message. So we're going to see three key elements of revival in our text today. And if we pursue these three key elements, right, if we, we enact these three key elements, then God promises forgiveness and healing. He promises revival. And certainly we need revival. Man, we need revival in our nation. We, re, we need revival here in our church, in First Bastrop. And we need personal revival. We need personal revival. And you know, that's where it starts. Uh, it doesn't start on the national level. It doesn't even start on the church level. It starts with you. 
you need to be the one to seek revival. And as you, as you individually seek revival, uh, then the revival will break out in the whole church. So start with you. Enact these elements in your life here today. Pursue revival. So as we begin, let me open us in prayer, and then we'll work through our text this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come today pursuing revival. We seek revival, Lord. We see in our church, in our nation, in our church, and, and in our own lives, Lord, maybe there's a, a sense of dullness in our walk with Christ. And Lord, we just need revived. We want a, a new sense of life and vitality in our relationship with Christ. And so, Lord, today we come pursuing revival. And we just ask, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see what you have to say about this. Lord, your promise is, is sure. We trust your promise the promise that you're going to, we're going to hear about today. Lord, we trust your word. and We take you at your word. Now, Lord, let us prepare our own hearts. Let us pursue you. And await for you to fill your promise to revive us. These things I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we see today in our text, and that's our sermon in a sentence, God revives those who seek Him. God revives those who seek Him. And so we want to seek the Lord today. Now as we, we look at our text, uh, I want to kind of explain the context because if you don't understand the context, you might not get all of what we're going to focus on today in our, our little text here. But in the greater context here, King Solomon has just finished building the temple. And so you, you remember David, his father, was wanting to build a temple, and God said, no, 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 David, that's not for you. You're a man of blood, you're a man of war, and so uh, you can't build my temple. But your son, I'm going to allow your son to build a temple for me. And so David made all the preparations before his death, and, and now he's turned it over to Solomon. And King Solomon is, is king now, and King Solomon has spent these years building the temple, overseeing the construction of the temple there in Jerusalem. At this point in Second Chronicles, the temple is built, it's completed, and King Solomon is dedicating the temple. And so this is the day of that dedication. And uh, Solomon, as he went out and, and the, as he and the priests dedicate the temple, the glory of God came down and settled upon the temple and filled the temple so much so that all the priests were ran out of the temple. Nobody could stay in there. Just like when Moses dedicated the tabernacle here again at the temple, the same thing is happening. God is honoring. He is blessing the dedication of the temple. And so God has filled the temple with his presence, with the glory of his presence. And then King Solomon stands before the altar of the Lord outside of the temple and he begins to pray. And I'm not going to read all of his prayer today because it's a rather lengthy prayer, but I want to focus in, if you will, just for a moment on the, the last portion of his prayer. 
in uh, second, uh, second Chronicles chapter 6, verse 36, so just look over a page or two there in your Bible. Second Chronicles 6, 36, we see kind of the end of King Solomon's prayer. And he says, if they, that is your people, the people of Israel, if they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin. Notice that. Solomon recognizes that there is no one who does not sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, every one of us. Christian or not, right? We, we sin against God. And so we need to recognize that even as Christians, right, we can have sin in our lives. So he says there, if they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them and give them to an enemy so that they are carried away captive to a land far or near. Yet if they turn their heart in the land to which they have been carried captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captivity saying we have sinned and have acted perversely and wickedly if they repent with all their their mind and with all their heart in the land of their captivity to which they were carried captive and pray toward their land which you gave to their fathers, the city that you have chosen, and the house that I have built for your name, then hear from heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their pleas, and maintain their cause, and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Now, O oh my God, let your eyes be open and your ears attentive to the prayer of this place. And so that is Solomon's prayer. He's really being prophetic here because all of this is going to happen, and we'll, we'll talk about that more next week. But uh, he understands that sin is going to come into the land of Israel. He understands that the people of Israel are going to sin against God. There's going to be some discipline in their lives from God, and they are going to need to seek revival. And so he prays this wonderful prayer for the people of Israel. And then, as we get to our text in chapter 7, verse 11 through 16, we see God's answer to Solomon's prayer. Of course, his answer continues on a little bit further there, but uh, we're going to focus in here just on this little, little piece of God's answer. Look at verse 11. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord, and the king's house, all that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house, he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people. Here we go. If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and, and consecrated this house 
that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And so we see God's answer to Solomon's prayer. He says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. We focus right there on that verse. And here God has laid out before us three elements of revival, three actions that we need to pursue if we want to have revival in our own lives, if we want to experience God's healing in our lives. And the first element that we see here, of course, is humility. It is humility. He says, if my people are called by my my name, humble themselves. Now we understand that humility is, is not the natural stance of people, right? That is not our natural position. Humility is not our natural position. Our natural position is one of what? A pride. It is one of pride. We don't want to humble ourselves. We don't want to admit that we're wrong. We, we don't want any of that. We want to stand proud. We want to puff out our chest. We don't want to humble ourselves. Humility is not the, our natural position. Pride is our natural position. And this manifests itself in a number of ways. Right? When we're confronted with sin, most especially, we see pride come out in a number of different ways. Two primary ways uh, that we see this. One is we play the blame game. We play the blame game. Right? It's not my fault. It's that person's fault. It's your fault. It's somebody else's fault. We play the blame game. And we learned this from our first parents, didn't we? Our first father, Adam, back in the garden. Go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. And Adam and Eve are in the garden and they sin against God by partaking of the forbidden fruit. And God comes to Adam in the Garden of Eden. He says, Adam, where have you been? He said, well, God, we were, we were naked, and, and we heard you, and we were naked. And he said, well, how did you know you are naked? Did you eat of the fruit I told you not to eat of? And what did Adam say? Did Adam say, yes, Lord, it was me, I failed? No, that's not what Adam said. Adam, in pride, he reflected the blame. Well, Lord, this woman that you gave me she gave me the fruit and i ate it's not my fault lord number one it's the woman's fault because she gave me the fruit and number two it's your fault god because you gave me this woman if you hadn't given me this woman i wouldn't have sinned lord it's not my fault it's her fault it's your fault god you know that's exactly what our society tells us to do our society actually trains us to pass the blame We see this more and more. Oh, it's not your fault. It's your mama's fault. It's your daddy's fault. It's your grandparents' fault. It's it's society's fault that you do what you do. See, even our society teaches us to pass the blame to someone else. And we, we see this all over the place. 
We see this very openly in cases of domestic violence. Oh, someone in domestic cases, you, you always see the abuser accuses the one who is being abused. It's her fault. She shouldn't have said what she said. She shouldn't have did what she did. You class the blame. And that's our position, right? That's the natural course of, of, of the way we respond when we are confronted with sin, when we're confronted with failure. It's not my fault. It's someone else's fault. And so we pass the blame. Another way that we show pride and when we're confronted with sin is that we may even downplay sin. We downplay sin, right? It's, it's not that big a deal, right? Everybody sins. Everybody sins. And this little sin of mine, it's, everybody does it. It's just a little thing. What's the big deal, God? What's the big deal? It's just nothing. We downplay the sin. According to the Barna Research Group, do you know 32% of Christian men admit to viewing pornography frequently? And two out of three, that's two-thirds of those men don't even feel guilty about it. They feel no shame whatsoever about doing what they do. Why? Because, hey, Everybody else does it. It's no big deal. It's just pictures on the on a screen, right? It's no big deal. It's not hurting anyone. I'm not hurting anyone doing this. Never mind the woman who's getting paid for that, being enslaved to those kinds of things. It's no big deal. Everybody does it. Two-thirds of Christian men say that about pornography. Maybe that's not yours, right? Maybe sexual immorality is not your symbol. What about gossip? Statistics show that 65 to 80% of conversations are gossip. Wow, 65 to 80% of all conversations engage in gossip. The average person spends 52 minutes per day, almost an hour a day, spreading gossip. That's no big deal. Everybody gossips. Everybody does it. Not a big deal. What about idleness? What about idleness? Though Scripture commands us to make the best use of our day, Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, the average person spends three hours per day watching TV and another two and a half hours a day on social media. Wasting the day. Not serving the Lord, but wasting the day. What's the big deal? It's not hurting anybody. Yeah, I don't know, Scripture says not, we're not to do that. We're to take advantage of every moment and live it for the glory of the Lord. But everybody does it. We downplay the sin. What's your sin? What sin is in your life that you're downplaying? Humble yourself before the Lord. James 4, 6, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. 
Don't play the blame game. Don't downplay your sin. Humble yourself before the Lord. Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhibits uh, eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place. And also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. We have to be, be uh, we have to acknowledge our own inability before God. We need to acknowledge our sin. We need to be honest about ourselves and who we are. We need to face our sin. We need to feel sorry. That's what contrite means, right? We need to feel that sorrow for our sin. We need to humble ourselves before the Lord. Don't blame someone else. Don't downplay your sin. Admit your sin. And humble yourself before the Lord. Revival can only occur in the heart of the humble. Humble yourself before the Lord today. Revival requires humility. And then humility naturally leads then to the second thing, confession. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray. What kind of prayer is he talking about here? Well, primarily, I think the kind of prayer that, that God is leading to here is a prayer of confession. Confession. Confessing our sins, right? We humble ourselves to see our sin and take personal responsibility for our sins, and then we confess that sin before the Lord. And we see this exemplified in the life of, of King David himself. Psalm chapter 20, uh, 51, if you will, if you, if you could turn over there, Psalm chapter 51. We see David here, he records his prayer of confession before the Lord. This psalm comes out after David has sinned with Bathsheba and murdered her husband to cover up his sinful affair. And then God, of course, sent Nathan to confront David with his sin. And David humbled himself before the Lord. And he began to confess his sin before the Lord. And here we see this prayer of confession. Notice, first of all, that David admits his sin to God. Look at verses 1 through 6. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned. And done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Notice David here, he doesn't say, But Lord, it was Bathsheba's fault. She shouldn't have been wearing that that she was wearing. She shouldn't have been doing that what she was doing. It's her fault. No, he says, Lord, 
I have sinned against you. And it wasn't primarily against Uriah. It wasn't primarily against you, Bathsheba. I've sinned against you, Lord. I've broken your law. I've broken your word. He confesses his sin. It's me, Lord. I've sinned. He admits his sin. And then he seeks forgiveness. Continuing on in verse 7. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that have been broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Oh, he seeks forgiveness. Oh, cleanse me. I've sinned. I'm a sinner. Now cleanse me. Restore me. Make me new. Forgive me, oh God. You see, that's where we got to be. If you want to have revival in your heart, you, you need to confess to the Lord. Yes, Lord, I realize my sin. I take responsibility for that. It's my fault. It's me, oh Lord. Forgive me. Forgive me. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8-9 through 9 says, If we say that we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But notice this, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, God is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us. James chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Oh, revival requires confession. It requires confession. We must confess our sins and we first we have to confess them to God, right? Like David Against you and you only have I sinned, O oh Lord. I've sinned against you. Forgive me for my sin. And then we may need to confess that to an accountability partner, right? Someone in our lives that we have allowed to speak truth in our lives, hold us accountable. Maybe we need to confess our sins to that person. Maybe we need to go to them. Hey, man, I've been struggling with this. I've failed in this, and I just need to tell somebody about it. I need to confess this and, and, and allow you to, to speak into my life and, and help me and hold me accountable on this. Maybe we need to confess it to an accountability partner. And we may even need to go and confess it to the person that we have offended. Maybe we have sinned against someone individually and we need to go confess to them i've sinned against you i've done you wrong 
And I, want, I need to seek forgiveness from you. If we want true revival, we must humble ourselves and confess our sins, whatever they may be. Humble yourselves and confess your sin unto the Lord. Revival requires humility, it requires confession, and third, we see it requires repentance. It requires repentance. We see that here in, this, in our text here. Notice what he says there. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, and notice this, this little, little, little phrase here, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. If they will seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. This, these two little actions are, are really one and the same. They are repentance. They are repentance, right? When we talk about repentance, I've given this illustration before, but it's a good one, right? Repentance is that military term. It's an old military term, and it means to do an about face. So we're in, in formation, we're marching, and we say about face, and we go from that way to this way. And that's what, exactly what repentance is. That's exactly what repentance is. We are following our own will, our own desires. We are, are following the, the wicked ways of the world. And God says, quit following the wicked ways of the world. Do an about face. Repent and seek my face. Seek my face. Turn to me and pursue me. Don't pursue wickedness. Pursue Christ. And God says, if you will repent... If you'll turn from your wicked ways and seek God, God says, I will forgive you your sins and I'll heal your land. I will revive you. Oh, dear friend, there are a lot of people that just completely get this wrong. There's a whole lot of people that completely get this wrong, right? There's a lot of people that think, well, if I just confess my sin, right? Just confess my sin and, and that be it. Yes, Lord, I'm a sinner. I did it. I, I'm wrong. I sinned. I, I, I'm a bad guy, but probably not going to change. I'm, I'm really not going to turn away from my sin, but, but I confess it, Lord. And right, as long as I confess it to you, then, then we're good, right? Hear me. Confession without repentance is futile. It's useless. It's empty words. A husband abuses his wife I'm sorry, dear. I'm sorry that I hit you. I'm sorry that I hit you. And then two hours later, he turns around and hits her again. His apology is useless. It means nothing. It is absolutely empty. If you confess your sins before the Lord, uh, please forgive me, Lord. But then you turn right back around and continue to live in your, your sin. It's useless. Your words are empty. You might as well not even say those things. You might as well not confess it. It is futile. There's so many people that think, oh, well, as long as I believe in Jesus and as long as I just uh, uh, admit that I'm a sinner, right? I'm good. No. 
Scripture says, repent and believe. Repent and believe. It means turning away from sin and trusting in Jesus, following Him. Oh man, the church has gotten into this easy believism. As long as you believe in Jesus, even the demons believe. And they're going to hell. Because they haven't surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ. Yeah, there's a lot of people that believe Jesus is who he says he is. But they've never repented from their sin. They've never repented from following the course of this world and turned to Christ. If that's you, if that's you, sure you've confessed your sin you haven't really felt sorry about it but you've admitted it if you've never turned away from that sin and followed Jesus and sought Christ and his way for your life then your confession is futile it's useless confess your sin Feel sorrow for your sin. You have offended a holy, righteous God who gave Himself up for you. Feel the depth of that sin. Feel remorse for that sin so much so that you are repulsed by that sin. Turn away from that sin and turn to Christ. And God says, I will heal you. you got to repent. Repent. That doesn't mean that you're not going to have some other failure in your life. Right? We still sin. We still mess up. He doesn't call us to sinless perfection, but He calls us to turn away from evil and turn to Him, pursue Him. And when we stumble and fall, we get back up and we pursue Him some more. We stumble, we fall, we get up and we pursue Him some more. And when that's our way of life, He strengthens us. He helps us all along the way. Confess your sins before the Lord and repent and pursue Him. Where are you in your spiritual journey today? Where are you in your spiritual journey? Some of you may be spiritually dead. You're dead in your trespasses and sins and you're following the course of this world. You're following the, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. You're following the devil and his ways. You are pursuing the, the desires of the flesh rather than pursuing Christ. You are dead to God. You have no relationship with, with Christ whatsoever. I want you to know the day that Jesus Christ went to Calvary's cross and he paid the full penalty for your sin in your place. And three days later, he was resurrected from the dead, showing that there's not 
there's no sin left for you to pay, right? There's no sin left for you to deal with. And he says, he offers this gift of salvation if you'll trust in me, right? If you'll turn from your sins and trust in me, I will save you today. Humble yourself before the Lord. Humble yourself before the Lord. See yourself in God's eyes. Confess your sin to him. Yes, Lord, I'm a sinner and I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. Confess your sins and repent. Turn away from that life and turn to Jesus. And Jesus says, I will give you life. Seek life today. Humble yourself. Confess your sin and turn to Jesus. But maybe you're here today and you're just spiritually complacent in your life. Right? You're, you're just kind of spiritually complacent. Your spiritual life is kind of blah. You've lost the joy of your salvation. You, you feel like you're just kind of going through the motions. You're, you're not studying God's Word as you should be studying God's Word. You're not praying as you should be praying. You're not serving God in His church as you should be serving God in His church. You're not sharing your faith as God has called us to share our faith. You're, you're not doing the things that God has called you to. Your spiritual life is just blah. You're complacent. Then hear the Word of the Lord. Humble yourself before the Lord today. Confess your, your sin of complacency. Repent from that and turn to Christ. Turn to God and He says, I will forgive you and heal you. I will revive you. Or maybe you're in a spiritual wasteland. You've allowed old sinful habits to creep back into your life. Maybe you're abusing drugs or alcohol you're engaging in some kind of sexual immorality whether it be pornography or premarital sex or adultery of any kind whatever it may be whatever it is or maybe you're stealing maybe you're stealing from the company stealing from a loved one taking things without them knowing it Maybe you're abusing someone physically, sexually, emotionally, verbally, or even psychologically. Or maybe you're just focused on the right, wrong priorities. Instead of seeking God and pursuing His, His ways, you're wasting your life away on wrong things. Maybe you're caught up in gossip and slander. You just can't wait to get to the beauty shop or the barber shop or wherever and tell all that you've heard about so-and-so. You're in a spiritual wasteland. Humble yourself before the Lord. Confess your sins. Turn from them and turn to God. And He says, I will forgive you and revive you wherever you are in your spiritual journey humble yourself before the Lord confess your sin turn to Christ and be revived Heavenly Father Lord we thank you 
we thank you for your wonderful promise. Lord, we just, we know in life sin is, it's going to happen. We're going to fall into habits of sin. It's part of our humanity. But Lord, let us not use that as an excuse. But when we fall in these sinful habits, Lord, let us see them. Let us take responsibility for our sins. Today, O oh Lord, let us see whatever it is in our lives that we need to get out. Let us humble ourselves before your throne of grace. Let us confess our sin and, Lord, seek your face. And, Lord, let us reach for that wonderful promise that you give us there in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. You will forgive us and heal us. Father, there are some today that are, are hurting spiritually. Lord, confront them with their sin today and let them pursue that promise. Revive us again, O oh Lord. Revive us again. These things we pray in Christ's name. Amen.